up in the good and the bad. In the good and the bad times. In the shadow in the sunlight. It's my joy for my whole life to praise your name. Sing that again. In the good and the bad times. In the shadow.
Bible does say that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we get to participate in that now, in the lifting of his name, in the kneeling, in the lifting of our hands, in our posture as we praise this, this holy God who sent his son to take away the sins of the world. Let's continue praising him.
again from the Psalms. This was in my reading this morning, and I thought, oh, this echoes so much of this next song that we're going to sing. Um, Jesus, I need you. Every moment I need you. Psalm 42 says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? He goes on to say that his tears have been his food day and night and, and that he's disturbed and downcast and distressed. And I'm here to tell you, friends, that if you've come with tears being your food and if you've come downcast and disturbed, when can you go and meet with God? Here, now, here in this place. He's here in our midst and we're gonna worship Jesus and we're gonna tell him that we need him. Um, but I just wanna, I just wanna share with you this that's been on my heart about this bridge because um, I think I, I've, been, I've just been going over our songs a lot, kind of maybe more with a fine tooth comb and um, certain things are just kind of standing out to me and truthfully, there's a lot of songs I just kind of wanna sweep away and bring in a lot of new ones and and that takes time. But, but, but here's what I wanna say. I, I've been confused about this bridge because I think that it says, I'm just going to tell you, or if you want to put it up on the, on the screen, Dave, it says, remember love, remember mercy, Christ before me, Christ behind me. So here, it's almost like we're talking to ourselves, like, right? Like, remember his love, remember his goodness, right? Christ is before me, I'm reminding myself. And then we turn and we, we like, it's like we're talking to God. Your loving kindness has never failed me. Right? And, and so almost the English there is, is kind of wacky. But as I got to think about that, I, I thought, wow, maybe this is just me. Does that echo my life? And that I have my eyes turned to him and I say, yes, God, you are so faithful. You are so good. I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm with you. I'm praying every moment. And then I take my eyes off of him. Remember his love. Remember his mercy, Amy. Christ is before you, Christ behind you. Yes, God, your loving kindness has never failed me. And wow, I don't know that I'll ever be able to sing this bridge differently, that this is the echo of our heart and that his grace covers all of that. He knows, he knows our feeble minds, but he loves us and he's faithful. And we can cry out to him when we need him. We can cry out to him through our weeks that are, downcast and disturbed and when the tears have been our food day and night hope can be our anthem friends let's sing about it
Jesus, we do need you every moment. Um, we have given you praise as God the Father. We've acknowledged your Son and um, what you have paid for us to take away our sins that we may live blameless before a holy God. And Holy Spirit, now we sense you as you are moving and making us aware of the presence of God. We give you praise for who you are, for every, every aspect of this triune God that we worship. Lord, we ask now that, that your spirit would continue to move in our hearts. Lord, that your spirit would awaken our hearts and our minds to your movement, that we would be um, open to what you have to say to us now um, through what Stephanie will share and what Pastor Paul is going to bring to us. God, we want to leave this place changed because of who you are and what you've spoken to us. Um, help us rest in you and continue to keep our eyes fixed on you, Jesus. We love you, amen. Good morning. Many of you know me as the church secretary, the office admin, I do the communications. Um, if you know me really well, you know that when I'm super nervous, I talk extra fast and my hands get extra animated. And the only way to slow me down is to tie my hands behind my back so I can't talk at all. So we figured the next best thing is I have something in each hand. So we'll see how that goes. Um, there's a quote from the Princess Diaries. And the queen is trying to prepare the reluctant princess ready to face the public. And the princess is like, nah. My one expectation in life is to be invisible, and I'm good at it. And I have to tell you that I have never related to a fictional character more than that than I do in this very moment. Because one of the things I love most about my job is that the majority of what I do is behind the scenes and not on the stage. So there's that. Um, the reason I'm up here this morning actually has nothing to do with my job, however, and more to do with the fact that I made a big old mess in the gym in January. And we figured it was time for me to come forward and kind of explain myself. So <laughs> that said, uh, there's a picture. You can see the big giant mess. Yeah, that's the one. Um, that said, my name is Stephanie, and I'm the new coordinator for Blessings in a Backpack in Marysville. And that mess I made over there is what it looks like to take on a program that feeds 230 to 250 kids every weekend throughout the school year. I've had several people ask me, how on earth did you get started doing that? And I really have no idea except God. When I was growing up, um, I remember you'd always hear this thing. It's like, listen for your calling, right? And I used to think it was this holy tap on the shoulder. And the angels would sing, and all of a sudden you would know exactly what God wanted you to do with your life, right? And, or at least you'd have an inkling so you didn't do the wrong thing or pick the wrong career. I never got that call. Um, so there's two things you can do in that situation. One, you can assume that maybe you don't have one. Or two, you can feel guilty because you probably do have one. You've just either missed it or misunderstood it. I have lived with, an, with a mixture of probably both assumptions the entirety of my adult life. <laughs> um, I started off working in a strawberry farm. 
and ventured into babysitting like every normal teenager does. By the time I was a junior in high school, I was sorting car maintenance paperwork at a dealership. I was translating work orders into Spanish for MFG, which is a company that does fiberglass for the Corvette. And I spent a fair amount of time working at Chi Chi's. Anybody remember that place? I used to do the chalk art on the promotional boards, and I loved it. Um, but there's so many things that I have done, and I have loved having this hodgepodge mashup of different jobs, right? I always thought that was so fun. And, but I always had this, like, burning guilt. Like, why can't I answer the question I feel like everybody's asking me? And that is, what do you want to do when you grow up? I don't know. I still ask myself that same thing. Um, I worked at SeaWorld in Orlando because for a time I thought it would be really cool to do research in marine biology. And the thing I learned that was I will never ever live in Florida. Like I just <laughs> can't do it. I spent a fair amount of time working in a camp kitchen for the Cleveland City Mission. And I thought this, I could do this for the rest of my life. But that didn't really pan out either. So I spent 10 years-ish in the photography slash scrapbooking business. And I don't really have a reason for that one except for the fact that I thought it was fun. So um, would you believe I graduated from Mount Vernon Nazarene University with a degree in Spanish and criminal justice? So naturally I work in a church. <laughs> like, how did I end up here? And I work not just at this church, I do communications and graphics for another local church. I manage the district website and I freelance as a virtual assistant for a Christian fiction author. Um, I've loved every one of the fact that I have these jobs and I can see how each of them has gotten me through these different seasons in my life. But there have been lots of times when I've said, what on earth do I have to do for you to tell me what my calling actually is? Because we all have one, right? We hear that all the time. You have a calling. We all have this mission. And I'm like, okay, that's awesome. I'm totally on board. But to do what? Like, what was I supposed to be doing? And so I'd ask, I'd like, please, Lord, just explain it to me in plain English. Me defiendo en español, pero no lo domino. Casi todo lo que aprendí lo he olvidado. In other words, if you're speaking Spanish to me, that ship has sailed, and I'm going to need a little further direction. So I asked again, when your job is church and church and websites and other home-centric payroll-inducing activity. How do you live out a calling you can't even define? And I, like, what am I supposed to do? And you know the answer he gave me back? Redefine called. Awesome. That's super helpful. <laughs> but in a roundabout way, he did explain. And I have no idea. I, I can't even dream how I have any part of this except God. So back in December, we did this collection for Blessings in a Backpack. And the goal was to collect enough food for 268 kids to send home with them for Christmas break. And everything was going great. Food was coming in. You guys were super generous. It was looking good. We were going to meet our goals. And then the numbers increased. And some of the things we had to collect, the quantity we needed actually tripled. And I thought, there is no way. The day the collection came, and we're sorting food, and we're counting it, and the numbers are coming in. I'm thinking, we are going to miss this buy a lot. And then the coolest thing happened. We not only met our original goal and the added goal, we surpassed both of them by a lot. And that was a loaves and fishes moment, the likes of which 
I can still barely wrap my head around. About halfway through the collection, the leader of Blessings in a Backpack came to us and said, I need to step down after the first of the year. Do you have any interest in stepping in? And at first I thought, um, I don't know. I kind of did, but I was like, mm, I'm not sure. We went on with the collection as usual, didn't give it a second thought. And we delivered food to her driveway and she asked me again, do you have any interest in taking up I don't have anybody else? And I remember thinking, I'm, you know, I'm riding this holy high. I had just seen God do something really cool. And I, I, I was like, I was jumping out of my skin because God had answered a question that I had been asking my entire life. And I'm not saying that doing blessings in a backpack is my calling. I can certainly see how the jobs I've had and the seasons I've been through have led me to this point. But that's not the question he answered. I had been asking for a specific detailed purpose of my life. And instead, he's shown me that our calling is far greater, far bigger than that holy tap I was waiting for and thinking I had somehow missed. When I thought I was standing still and not getting anywhere, he was taking me all the places I needed to go to get to this point. And chances are, he's still taking me all the places I need to go to get to the next point. So our mission, our calling in this life, it's active, right? It's not passive. It's not stationary. It's not, he'll call me to do this, and I'll do it, and then I'm done. Because he's not just calling us to do. He's calling us to be. Amen. To live in the here and now with the flexibility that's open to whatever may come down the road. So regardless of what I do for a paycheck, I have the greatest job in the world. And that is because... He's given me this task to approach life with my eyes wide open, my ears tuned in, and my arms outstretched, ready and waiting, so that when he gives me that little nudge and he says, this, this is what I want you to do right now, I can say, I have no idea how I got to this point, except for God. And maybe that's your calling too. Thank you, Stephanie, for stepping out of your comfort zone. Did an awesome job. We appreciate Stephanie in the office and her attitude and her willingness to do and, and just participate. And uh, I love what she had to say. God's call often comes not with angel choirs, but with opportunities that God gives you. And I think we need to be aware of that. that uh, and so the question is, what opportunities has God given you? Um, I, I think you think less, or we should think less of call, and more about opportunity. And the, we're all called to seize whatever opportunities that God has in mind for us. When he gives us opportunities, you are called to seize those opportunities and move forward and show Christ in those circumstances. Blessings in a backpack is an opportunity. And I, I hope that you, um, if, if God's tapping you on the shoulder, I hope you see Stephanie because I'm sure there's places she can plug you in that, that you can participate in this vibrant ministry in our community. It's not often, as a church, I'll just tell you, most of the time in a church, when you begin ministries in a community, you have to build it. This is a ready-built ministry that is ministering to a number of families in our community, and you have the opportunity to be a part of it. Please, see Stephanie. There's a place that you can fit in and help in that ministry. Um, Anybody ever assume? You know, assuming's a bad thing, right? You don't, you don't assume or uh, you, you, don't, you, don't, you make sure that you read things clear through. Um, 
Uh, sometimes we read things or hear things out of context. Uh, I've talked about this in the past, but several years ago when I was in the course of study, I was, I was practicing law and I was working 50 to 60 hours a week and I was in class Monday night and Thursday night and, and I was teaching on Wednesday night and I was teaching on Sunday morning and I was preaching about every other Sunday night and, and so life was pretty busy. I was coaching boys in basketball. I was doing all these things. It was Mother's Day and it never failed on Sunday nights on those kind of days. Dan Walters would have me preach on those Mother's Day Sunday nights and Father's Days and July 4th. And so I was preaching on a Mother's Day Sunday night and I had to go get a card for Terry. And I, and I went, you know, you read through the cards and, and I read through the card. And I read exactly what it said and it made sense when I bought it. <laughs> the card read, you didn't start mother to both of us. And so I bought my wife a stepmother's card uh, for Mother's Day. We've all done things like that, right? You know, sometimes we can read Scripture. And we can read Scripture in a way that maybe we hear it, but we don't hear it. Uh, I believe with Scripture, sometimes we can suffer with what I call selective hearing. Uh, that we can hear it in a way that as we read it, it justifies the way we think. Um, Context matters. Scripture must be read in context. And so we must understand it by the surrounding passages, the genre, and, and, and all these things are important. Who's writing? Who are they writing to? All these things are important that we understand Scripture in context. Now, now my personal opinion is Scripture must be read through the lens of Jesus. That, that for me to understand Scripture... I have to always keep my eye on Jesus. And, and so the Old Testament only has the fullest meaning when we understand it through the lens of Jesus. I believe Jesus gives meaning to the New Testament, that when we read through the New Testament, the writings of Paul, we have to understand them through the lens of Jesus because Jesus is our best image of our Heavenly Father. Um, I've been working through the Sermon on the Mount. And we have two more weeks, this week and next week. At the end of the month, uh, Dr. Kunselman's going to be with us, and so we're excited about that to have Dr. Dr. Kunselman here. Uh, but we're going to be finishing this up in the next two weeks. And we've been answering the question, what does it mean to be a disciple? And we've been using the ideal that discipleship is based on relationship. And, and when we get to this next passage, uh, we're in Luke 7, verse 13, when we get to this next passage, I think it's easy to shift focus and lose the focus on the relational aspect and once again begin to emphasize personal piety. Uh, nothing wrong with personal piety, but I think we need to understand that Jesus is not shifting focus in this passage. And if we understand this passage in full context, it gives fullness to life, it gives fullness to relationship. Verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for the false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. 
A good tree cannot bear fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown to the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those, only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Uh, now this passage, I, I think it has some important questions as we, as we think about what this passage is saying. It's what, what is the narrow gate? When Jesus is talking about this narrow gate or this straight way, what is the narrow gate? Who, who are the false prophets? Who, who's he referring to? Is there, is there people that he has in mind that are false prophets? What, what is good fruit? What's Jesus say when he means, says the phrase, good fruit? And I think when we hear these phrases, at least in my lifetime, and, and messages I've heard on this passage, uh, it's easy to slip back into this personal piety-only model. Focused on the things I do not do most of the time, focused on the things that the, the religious activity that I perform, the, the, the number of times I'm in church, the, the, the way I think. But I think we're missing the context of this passage when we float back, when we move back to that understanding. It's not been the emphasis for the whole sermon. Jesus has not been emphasizing a personal piety model the whole time. He's been focusing on relationship. Um, he's been focusing on Pharisees. Pharisees had more personal piety than anyone. Now, no one could ever accuse them of not having high moral standards. And these are the people that Jesus is warning about. Even today, those who practice Orthodox Judaism. Um, I worked for a lawyer in Dayton and and she had Orthodox Jew family members, and, and, and her and her husband would have to go over on the Sabbath on Saturday and turn on their lights because the, the Sabbath rules wouldn't even allow them to turn on the lights. And, and Jesus is addressing this kind of activity, that, that, that they're so hardcore in their religious activity and their personal piety, but they're false prophet because their fruit is not displaying what the kingdom is meant to display. And so the, the context is what? In verse 7, do not judge. That, 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 that relationship is harmed when we judge other people. Forgiveness is throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Last week, the passage we used, so in everything, everything do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. So the context of this is not this personal piety model, but the context of this, of what Jesus is saying, the fruit that he's talking about, is this doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. There's other passages that give context. The great commandment gives context to this and understanding. And Jesus says, what, what, what sums up the law? Love God with your entire being and love your neighbor as yourself. And all these things give context to this narrow gate that Jesus is talking about. You know, there's similar language. And if you hear this 
Those who say, Lord, Lord, you know, I, I never knew you. Remember, that's somewhere else in the passage. It's in Matthew 22. And in Matthew 22, Jesus is talking about the final judgment. And there's all these people that are before the throne. And, and, and they're saying, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Weren't, weren't we highly religious? Didn't we do everything you asked us to do? And Jesus said, I, I didn't even know you. And they say, well, how, how can that be? He says, as you have done unto the least of these... You have done unto me. In other words, in Matthew 22, the, the passage that has very similar language is, is focused on relationship with others and particularly the least of these. So, what's the context? Good fruit is seen in our relationship with others how we treat other people. That's the only way you can read this and read this in context that, that Jesus is talking about the fruit is dealing with our relationship with others. So it leads to a question. And bear with me. Don't, don't, don't stop hearing me because it's important that you hear me all the way through this. I've met people who don't share my personal morals, who are not religious but are extremely generous and kind. Anybody ever met anybody like that? I've met people that don't share my outlook on life, but they treat people very good. Um, I've met people that are highly religious, that have high morals, that don't treat people so good. So if good free fruit is seen in our relationship with others, do morals not matter? If, is that the only fruit? Is that all Jesus cares about? Is religious activity useless? Can we go back to an earlier verse, the first week of the series? For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Morals matter. They matter. Religious activity matters. So I think it's important to understand Jesus uses the image of a gate. So in your mind, close your eyes. If I close your eyes and stay awake. I know we lost an hour. And imagine what's a gate look like. You can open your eyes back up. Unless you want to keep them closed. It's, it's a, if, if you want to pretend you're still imaging uh, a gate and, and taking a little bit of a nap, that's fine. A gate has two sides, right? You know, Jesus uses the image of a gate, and a gate has, his, has two sides. So, so one side of the gate is this. How do you treat people? How, how do you treat people? Um, people can have very strong morals, be very religious, but treat people terribly. The Pharisees treated people terribly. They had strong morals. They were good people. They mowed their grass. They paid their tithe. They paid their taxes. Um, their kids didn't get in trouble. It was okay to have people at their house. But they treated people awful. People can have no morals. Be non-religious but treat others well. And they're still missing what God has in mind. See, personal morals and religious activity matters. But morals 
and religious activity are meant to have a purpose. Our personal morals and our religious practices should move us to love God and love others. That's the point. When I first started practicing law, I was practicing in Vandalia, Ohio, and, and I worked with Alexander Virgilio DeMarco. Yeah, that's right. He, he, was a, he was a New York guy that had ended up in Vandalia, Ohio. I don't know how. Uh, but, but Alex loved to talk. He, he was an atheist, and, and he loved to talk religious, religion with this little evangelical boy. That's what he called me. He, you know, he loved to bring me in the office and and, and, you know, we, we had a good, good enough relationship. He was an interesting character. Um, but, but Alex would love to talk religion and, and morals. And at this time, and you don't hear this phrase much anymore, uh, there was moral relativism or ethical relativism. Remember, I remember when we used to use that phrase. And, and, and so all ethics and all morals was based on love. And, and that never bothered me too much, to be honest. But, but Alex would always twist this idea of love and never fell, it ended up with him being able to have an extramarital affair with somebody showing his love. And I'd always say, Alex, you're dreaming, bud. Nobody wants to be with you that much. And he didn't accept that too well. But he'd always turn this ethical relativism into this place where he could be immoral. That, that he could be unfaithful in his wedding vows. A correct understanding of biblical... Of, an application of biblical instruction will build relationships, not harm them. Every time. Jesus does not give instruction that harms our relationship with God, that hurts our relationship with others. So let me ask you, does your religious activity lead you to love others more fully? Think about your practices, the things that you do. Um, church attendance, attendance in a small group, a discipleship group, a Sunday school class, service should build our relationship with God. It should build our relationship with others, both in the church and outside the church. That's the purpose. Are your morals building connections or barriers? Does, it, does this ever say, oh, I don't think that's right? No, 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 I'm not saying that. But, but what I'm suggesting is our morals should be building relationship that people should see us not as judges, but as someone that's showing something, a better way to live. Next week, we're going to close this all out with salt and light. Um, and we're going to jump to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we're not going to go through uh, the, the Beatitudes. We preached that about a year ago, but we're going to talk about salt and light. And this idea of salt and light is important because as kingdom people, it means that we're showing a different way of living. Um, I've always said this. Is salt effective in the shaker? No. It's got to be outside the shaker. And oftentimes in the church, we, we, we stay so close together that we do not connect with our culture. You know, light has meaning when it's shined and shown in the dark. And so the question is, how, how can your religious disciplines build relationship with God and others this week?
How can your morals point people to Jesus this week? How in your daily life can, can you point people to Jesus? Can you show Jesus in the way that you live? Amy sang the song, and I, I don't know what it's called, but it uses the phrase, remember love and remember mercy and in Christ before me, Christ behind me. And I, and I think that's probably a, a play off the prayer of St. Patrick's. And, uh, you know, St. Patrick's Day is coming up this week. And so, you know, the St. Patrick's prayer is Christ be with me, Christ within me, Christ behind me and before me, Christ beside me, Christ to win me, Christ to comfort and restore. What a beautiful prayer. And so this week, the invitation of Jesus to, to, to bear good fruit is not just to do religious activity for the purpose of a religious activity. is not just to be moral for the purpose of being moral. But, but the purpose of all these things are, is to build your relationship with God, to build your relationship with others. Um, stand with me, if you will. Dave, I know this is probably too quick. It's in my notes. Can you put that prayer of St. Patrick's up? All heads bowed, all eyes closed, while our guy in the sound booth tries to put this up real quick for us. Just give me a thumbs up if you can, or thumbs down if you can. Can't. I couldn't see what his thumb was doing, so. Went, okay, good. Let me pray with us. And then while Dave's working on that, we're going to say this prayer together and, uh, and maybe keep this in mind. Uh, what, what are the opportunities this week for you to show God, uh, to, 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 to allow him to work through you? Lord, help us uh, not to be people with no morals, but people with morals that lead somewhere. Lord, I, I pray that you'll, um, you'll, you'll use our religious activity, not just as activity, but as um, something that allows us to draw closer to you, closer to each other in this room, as we draw closer to you, Lord, may we show your goodness to those who need to see it. The, the honest truth is, Lord, it's the, the sin of the Pharisees was they slipped into what was easy. And what was easy was religious activity for the purposes of religious activity, morals for their self-gratification. And Lord, you call us to something better. What, what some theologians call the third way. That, that, that Jesus isn't calling us to this place where morals don't matter and we just have to love each other. But he's calling us to morals with a purpose. Religious activity with significance and meaning. So Lord, help us to enter into this narrow gate. Help us to have fruit that is worth sharing, that, that brings life. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. You guys want to pray this with me? Christ be with me, Christ within me, Christ behind me and before me. Christ beside me, Christ to win me, Christ to comfort and restore. God bless folks, you are dismissed.